Hey everyone, it's Brandon Blum, the Director of Marketing at the Smart Center. I'm recording this intro for Dr. E while she's away on vacation. This month's episode of the podcast features an awesome discussion between Dr. E and Jennifer Brittingham on what parents can do to help prepare their children for the summer months ahead. As you guys know, these next few months will provide individuals with SM some very unique opportunities. There will be untraditional socialization situations with peers, there'll be visits with extended family, and there may even be some summer vacations to new unfamiliar places. Dr. E and Jen break all these scenarios down and more in this episode. So without further ado, please enjoy episode 13 of the Unspoken Words podcast, Preparing for Summer. Hello, Jen. Good morning. How are you today? I'm great, Dr. E. Thanks for having me back on. Awesome. Excited for this episode of preparing for summer to help kids have a successful, and I want to add, social communication summer. I'm looking forward to it. Bring on the beach. Bring on some ice cream. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, don't forget water ice. We love water ice, too. We do. Some of the topics we're going to talk about is the importance of building social communication co- skills over this summer and practicing that. And there's so many opportunities. And parents sometimes say, well, wait, what opportunities are there? They're not in school. That's so structured. We're going to focus this on basically socialization with peers, visiting some relatives, possibly attending camp, vacationing, and of course, relaxing. We can't, you know, minimize that and the importance of family time. So let's kind of get started. One of the focuses for us, and I really can't emphasize enough, peers throughout the summer, peers throughout the summer, like peers throughout the summer. Please, please, parents, it's critical, critical. Don't think just because your kids ended just strong at the end of the school year, you can just ease up and just not do that and use this summer as actually amazing opportunities for social communication. So let's talk about peers over the summer. Share some of your wonderful, wonderful ideas for get-togethers with peers. And who are those peers, Jen? Well, summertime can be a challenge. I want to put that out there and speak to what I see with many of our families in session is that summer really brings on a time where they they get busy with their summer schedule and vacation schedules. And sometimes meeting up with their friends can be can be a challenge. We already know we see we see sort of a tracking that play dates and get togethers do become harder for our families. I've just seen this historically and clinically over time. So it takes a lot more effort and creativity to get them going. So summer is is no is no different. We still have those challenges. A couple of things that I might recommend to our families before the summer is underway. One, what are what are your plans for the summer? And and again, looking at the ages of kids, it's it's going to vary. But with our younger ones that we can help establish play dates, get togethers, find out what are some of your friends doing this summer? Because if they're going to camps or they're doing some type of daycare or activities over the summer, we certainly, if we're going to look to put our children into camps or other type of activities, we want to pair them up with some of the friends from school. They've just spent this whole school year building comfort, rapport, get, get-togethers. We don't want to lose momentum. So we want to try to overlap where we can. So finding out where those parents are sending their kids and, and their availability of a summer is important. For a lot of our families, if they're joining a pool, for instance, that's a great place that if we have a, a community pool where many of the families are getting together, that's a great, great time to meet up with those friends from school, invite friends to join them. 
And again, we want to schedule meetups and play dates with those friends from last school year for sure, because they're at their most comfortable with them. They're their most communicative. Now, I know we don't always know the kids for next year who we're going to be spending time with. However, I will say that communication practice is good communication practice regardless. But one strategy that I think over the summer that has worked really well for a lot of our families is if you know, if you're on social media, many of our families have started up meetup groups for the upcoming school year. So they've already you know, began putting together some type of Facebook meetup group where or the counselor will help or the teachers will help you know, get this information out to some of the parents before the school year ends that just says, hey, let's keep connected over this summer. Join this Facebook group. It's parents that facilitate it so they can say, you know, once a month we're meeting on the school playground. We're meeting up for ice cream. We're meeting up to go bowling, whatever that looks like, so that all kids from that age, that, that grade, can maybe meet up over the summer and keep a connection point. So that's one thing that's been really helpful for a lot of our clients to join in. The other thing I would say, too, is as often as you can have get-togethers or playdates with those, those kids from your school, and maybe that is just having them over during the summer to, to meet up for an at-home playdate, meeting up on the school playground to hang out at the, at the school playground, ride bikes. Again, that's keeping that connection point from last year. But if we can some, somehow create a meetup group where we can get to know some of the kids from the other grades that potentially could be in our class next year, that's only creating a, casting a wider net of, of friends that we can be more familiar with. What we discussed at our, our last podcast, where we talked about you may not have all six or seven kids that that will be in their classes, but if we can focus on all of them with the hope that at least two or three are picked, that would be awesome. You know, for our middle and upper schoolers, it can be tough because they're at an age often where unless they really have friendships, they don't want the get-togethers. So it's going to be really, really important to create these opportunities through clubs, activities, and so forth. And I can't emphasize enough how it's going to be important when we're thinking about activities that we do try to go with a friend and we don't just throw our kids into camp after camp after camp, week after week after week. I'll hear families say, yeah, week one, we're going to Bible camp. Week two, we're going to cooking camp. Week three, we're doing roller skating camp. And they're going to all new places with all new kids and all new teachers or counselors, and it just doesn't work. We need longer camps with smaller amount of kids, and I can't emphasize that enough. So although our kids may be doing really well in school, I really, unless, you know, they're ready, and again, it's individualized. We discuss this with the family, but very typically when I think about camp, which is definitely something I want to cover here, whether the kids go to camp or not. Now, sometimes it boils down to finances and camp's not an option, but for families that are considering camp, I do recommend smaller camps with few children for longer periods of time compared to large camps with many children for shorter periods of time. Any thoughts on that, Jen? No, I agree. And I think anytime you could do a camp with a buddy so you're going in with some comfort is needed. What you pointed out was, if you, if you heard the, the common phrase there was new, 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 new counselors, new environment, new kids. So we, we talked last podcast about end of school transition. One of those, those questions that teacher or parents and teachers worry about is we're ending the school year and now we're going to lose ground and will my child regress? And I always, I, I think of that and I always think, well, this summer we think we've, we're getting sort of three months off. And when you put into context those camps, we're restarting, restarting, restarting. 
yeah, how do they how do they use those new skills that they just got from the school year and all their their increase in progress? How do they put that into play when every other week there's a new proofing that they're coming into context with and a new environment that they're not as familiar with? So I would agree that if possible to do longer camps where they're with you know, one or two familiar buddies that they know from school, and it's a little longer so they can really get in. Because we all know our, our kids take some time to warm up and get acclimated. Many of our kids, that's why the end of the school year is such a common time where they're, they're most comfortable and they're making so much progress. They take time to acclimate and warm up and no different in the summer. So having those longer camps gives them time to get through their natural warm up period, along with strategies that we can help to fuel that warm up to be quicker. And then if it's a little smaller, it's a little easier versus these really large camps where, again, those three L's come into place. Large, loud, lots of people environments can be very hard to get those initial goals going and to have our best communication. So smaller group for sure will be helpful this summer for many of our kids. Yep, I love it. I love all the things you're saying. And we have to think about camps and opportunities for camps as many schools and what happens in camps is sometimes you have younger you have younger counselors so you might have high school students being the counselors and how you know educated they are they may not be able to implement basic strategies so it is important to connect with the count with the kind of the leads the owners of the camp or whomever is your contact the camp director let's say that so we need to connect with the camp director to talk about who would be leading the camps. And is that an ideal opportunity for your child? Because that About My Child worksheet about educating others on how to engage and interact with your child, the need to pair and group your child, how to even basically question. It doesn't need to be this formal training and education, but parents absolutely should be meeting and talking with those counselors to be able to help their child and teach them the basic strategies of you know, how you ask questions, pairing and grouping, using, you know, choice questions, the basics. I mean, we're not going to have them, you know, be masters in treating selective mutism, but certainly the basics of how to ask questions and pairing and grouping with the buddies, as I said, using visuals if needed, asking yes, no, if you have to get through the situation. So accepting nonverbal behavior and opportunities even meet that counselor outside of hours. To me, the more anxious, the smaller the camp is better. For preschool kids, it's a great opportunity to talk to. If you go to a private preschool, maybe they have a camp. So going to that camp, sometimes the teachers in the summer, the teachers they'll have in the fall, making that work and the kids that are in camp could be an, op an opportunity to have buddies at the start of the school year. It's a wonderful opportunity to kind of build their confidence in that preschool location camp even if it's in kindergarten, and as the kids age, you know, getting into larger camps. So to me, when I think of camp, I think about small, understanding staff, meeting the counselor prior to the start of, the start of camp, and at least having a few peers that that child knows. And to me, if we can have that and really the about my child to educate the counselors we're really setting up for a positive camp experience. Any thoughts on that? I'm in agreement of all those. And I think the, the really important piece, because remember, over the course of summer, many of our, unless you're going to like a specific type of camp where maybe it's treatment-based and you have more professionals as, as those leads in those groups, a lot of camp counselors are, are younger people who maybe are not trained professionals. 
So to to give them a number of strategies would be challenging. They're they're not going to be able to, they're not providing treatment, right? So we want to keep those, we want to keep those strategies pretty straightforward. Um, some decent ones that they could put into play. Again, if they have a couple of familiar peers with them, what are some stage some stage-based strategies to help them at least communicate with their camp counselors? Do they have a buddy that they could maybe use as a verbal intermediary to build that comfort? So we want to keep a couple of just quick tips that would help those counselors. Because again, we may not be doing a training or an education. Not that we can't. There are many families that do trainings because maybe they're doing a, maybe they're doing more camps during the school year. I mean, during the summer, and they do have access to that to whoever is leading it, and they we could provide a little more training. But for the majority of parents, they may not have access to provide actual training of SM to these counselors. So. That all about my child, making sure it's it's really quick and good tips to help. And again, making sure that we're covering things like what, where are we going to see them have challenge? Is it around using the bathroom? Is it eating? Is it what are the things that we might see a ch- there to be a challenge during the summer? And how can we put a couple tips in place so those counselors have something hands on and ready for them to at least help make it a comfortable setting for our kids? Love it. I just love it. Some additional tips I'm he- I'm thinking about as you were sharing this is prior to camp, take your child, ideally with the buddy or two buddies they're going to be going to camp with, and check out the camp. So make sure that you talk to the camp director about this wonderful opportunity to see where their bunk will be, where maybe cubby opportunities are, where the bathrooms are, where the lunchroom is. Take them around to see some of their favorite activities to kind of build that excitement. And that's you know, building that kind of comfort already without a ton of kids there. A few weeks prior, I would definitely think about the opportunity to meet that counselor. Sometimes that's not possible, but at least parents talking with the counselor or even FaceTiming with the counselor and the child prior to the start of camp, having a buddy there with them is often very helpful. And I mean, those are two really like, you know, and be upbeat and positive, right? Just be really positive about camp, a question came in from a parent that said, we found a fantastic summer camp and they ex- explanation point, but the director was not receptive to implement the basic necessities, didn't even want to read about my child, said he doesn't have the time, wasn't going to have an opportunity to really meet the counselor, thought that, you know, even the buddies, he couldn't even guarantee that. So wanted to know what our recommendation was for that situation with the camp. And guess what my response was? Pick another camp. I mean, I would not put my child in a camp if the director's telling you they can't do any of the things. And these aren't tough things. We're not, this isn't like major, major stuff we're asking. We're asking for basic comfort building. And if that can't be done, I wouldn't send my child there. Well, that's my answer too, Dr. Ree. I think that, you know, one, we're trying to set our kids up for success right? And, and, and using, I mean, they, they've spent the school year using a lot of these strategies to help them, you know, make progress. So if we're going to then have the summer come and put them in a situation where it's brand new, they're unfamiliar and not comfortable, yeah, potentially we, we're going to have some, some regression, some setback. I would opt to not have that necessarily and find another option first for summer. I mean, isn't that though, isn't that interesting that this sort of goes in line with, you know, many parents are picking schools for next year too, right? So when we think about moving from one school to another, maybe I'm, I'm finishing, you know, kindergarten and I have op- option of a public private school, or maybe I'm, I'm getting done my middle school and going on to two different options for high school. I always am using that logic for even picking a school. 
right? Is that more so than, you know, sometimes we get that question asked, you know, public school, private school, smaller group, larger group, what's best? And sometimes we, we have an answer, right? Small group is always better than larger group. However, I've had many, many families going to camps or schools that will say, it really matters to me. Are they willing to accommodate? Large group, small group matter. But even in that small group setting, if they're not willing to accommodate any of our strategies, like you said, some of them are not not super challenging to put in place. That makes or breaks the difference because you could be in a small group setting with no strategies and not make any progress. So it really comes down to what you're implementing. So if a, if a school, a camp, a daycare setting or whatever the club is that we're doing, if we can't have some help to accommodate some of the basic strategies, probably not the best fit for our, our kids. And you know what? Guess what? If you as a parent can organize get-togethers or there's a specific volunteer opportunity for some of the older kids and they love it and do it, that's fine. You don't need a quote-unquote camp. I have parents that have the time. They're off for the summer. They're not necessarily working. Or they are working and can work it out with a couple other play, you know, friends of the kids where they're doing outings. They're going to nature centers. They're going to the zoo. They're spending their summer like a couple times a week getting together. And that may be enough. They're playing soccer in the backyard. They're doing a small art camp in their house. I mean, there's so many opportunities to talk to your treatment professional about. And then in those settings to really think about where can we implement strategies? What is a parent? What can you do as a parent to create opportunities for social communication to bridge your child up into verbal? I mean, there's countless opportunities, right? I mean, it's really endless. And so I think we just have to get really creative with these kids, which leads me to other opportunities in the summer, traveling and vacationing. One thing is visiting relatives. This is a time when families get together, they rent homes, they go visit, they do a lot with family. That's the time they get in their car, they fly across the country. And one thing that I think about in these opportunities are things like the talkative traveler, when they're out of their environment, sometimes our quieter kids at home where they feel expectations are chatty. They're talking, they're progressing, and parents are like, what the heck is that about? And then you've got your kids that get more anxious and more worried when they're traveling. And I call that the timid traveler. So they're two different types. And knowing where they're at with these, you know, their ability to socially communicate and using opportunities for hotels and engaging with hotel staff and restaurant staff and really using the same strategies that we're teaching parents and giving them those opportunities of common questions and action plans and sandwich questions and all the things we do is really, really helpful. So I think navigating that and really helping our families with that is important. But what about the relatives, Jen? I mean, this can be a great opportunity, but it can be very stressful especially those high expectation relatives. What are your thoughts? Well, this is where, where we are, right? We're in the planning stages of summer and a lot of vacations are happening. You brought up the All About My Child worksheet and some of our listeners may not know what that is and some may, it, but I love it because it really points out, it doesn't matter if it's going, going to maybe a camp director, if it's going to a new babysitter, it doesn't matter if it's going to maybe your, your kids you know, doing a hockey you know, clinic this year over the summer to get to prepare or a football clinic to prepare for fall. Anytime we can give things to coaches, instructors, leaders that talk about my child has selective mutism. Here's what that looks like for them. Here's some things to do. Here's some things not to do. That's always important with our instructors. I also think it's really helpful to give to our, our families too in advance. 
Because one, let's say we don't get together with these families that often, but maybe it's it's like you said, we're renting a house. You know, maybe we're going to North Carolina and getting a house on the beach with family members. It's a big group that we're coming together with. We may not have seen these family members for for the last year um, or it's been six six months. I always like to put something out there to families and say, we're coming to visit. Because again, the hope and the goal is that over the course of the year, from the last time they saw them till now, there should be some changes. If If we're still using the same language of, don't talk to my child, don't give attention to them. If that's the same sort of concept that we're using from year to year, I think we should be tweaking that, right? Because there should be some change. I definitely agree that for a child who has a high expectation, we want to tell family, don't focus on them when they walk in. Don't make everything about them, right? Don't run up to them and start talking to them or have an expectation of speech. However, if we're working goals and strategies, we should tweak that a little bit, right, over time. So maybe you educate your family last year, but this year, we might educate them again, reminders of what works for your child and what doesn't, and maybe some new things that you're doing. Maybe your child's leveled up in their communication a little bit. Then we want to we want to give them some questions they can or topics they can ask about when that child is comfortable and ready and they've warmed up. So I definitely think creating that all about my child sheet to tell family, here's where we are in the process and what's working for my child, what what we can still do to sort of get them some space to warm up is helpful. The other thing I think is really important is when is the last time we saw these individuals and, and what's our comfort? So a number of things that I might put into place for a lot of our families are I'll say, if it's family we haven't seen in a while, make sure if they're younger kids, you're showing your kids who we're going with. So, hey, we're, we've, we've booked a trip. We're going to visit so-and-so, you know, at their home. Again, be very be mindful. Going to someone else's home that's not our own home can feel intimidating and scary sometimes. Do they have pets? What is the house like? Where am I staying? Maybe many of our families don't stay in hotels very often, and that can feel a little unnerving to them. I always want our family members to prepare. So if it's, hey, let's look at pictures of these family members that we're going to to see so they have recollection of who they are. Maybe it's, let's do a couple of FaceTime calls in preparation. Now, I know what many families will say. Listeners are hearing us now saying, oh, my child doesn't do well on FaceTime. You know, they, they clam up, they shut down, they're not comfortable. There are ways to utilize FaceTime. I'm putting this out as a caveat because I feel like it always needs to be heard. I don't know how many families come in for intakes or sessions and say, my child does not do well over the computer. And I get it. Many of our families, our kids don't. But there are a lot of strategies that we use. And we've been doing this for years, even prior to the pandemic, of helping our families warm up or mine. And there's a lot of strategies we can use. It doesn't matter if your child's verbalizing to these family members, just sort of being in the background, hearing conversation focusing on, you know, showing them the new trampoline you got out back or the dog or an art project you did or something instead of the child on the, on, on the Zoom meeting can really help lower the expectation. But it gives some familiarity to family that we haven't seen. And no different than if we're going to visit a, we're staying in a hotel, take your child online to the website, show them this is the hotel that we're staying. This is what our room might look like. It has a pool or it has a, you know, whatever the features are at that hotel. The more we can prepare for the space that we're going to be staying. Because again, if we Zoom with our family members and who we're going to be staying with, we might say, Uncle Dave, can you take us on a tour around the house? Show us around. That were, It's not communication. It's I'm showing you around the house. You know, oh, we've got a pool in the backyard here. We've got a fire pit. We have a you know, swing set in the backyard. We put that up, you know, this year. That wasn't here last year. Those are all fun ways of just helping our kids to acclimate. Our kids are visual processors sometimes. They need to see and, and have warm-up time in advance before they actually get there. So having that all about me sheet and having some time to prepare are two things that I might recommend to families before they go. 
Definitely. And definitely that warm up. You mentioned warm up so that when you're going places, we really need to emphasize that to parents that no matter how old your child is, whether it's three or 18, right? You've got to respect warm up. It's going to take them longer in a newer environment and be okay. Look, listen, and learn their body language, their comfort level. Like they're telling you how they feel. Don't do never. I'm going to say it right. Avoid the shoulds. You should and you need to. And avoid the performance. What I mean by that is often parents want to prove to these other people that their kids can talk. And I'm like, my blood's curdling as I'm saying this because do not do that. Do not go in with, you need to talk to Aunt Sally. You need to do this. You should do that. Don't, 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 don't. Be upbeat, be positive, accept your children where they are. Use the strategies for comfort building. Maybe your kids have photos from a recent trip for the older kids they, or even the younger kids can show. Just allow them to be comfortable. Allow them to be nonverbal. Allow them. And then you bring them into those social communication opportunities by how you ask questions. And we have so many kids that are verbal by just sitting down and kind of getting to know them a little bit, maybe doing a recipe in the kitchen, maybe doing some interview questions, which are some assignments, whatever it might be, games, activities, they'll become verbal very easily, some of our kids. Even if, a, if a, we educate, again, the relatives on that about my child, asking open-ended questions are tough. So train them to ask the more choice questions with eye contact, not straight at the child, but kind of at the test that on the test that they're doing. These kind of simple things, but that kind of performance of, you know, go up to so-and-so and, and say hi to them, say hi to Aunt Sally. Don't do it. Don't do it. You can play, acti do activities and have goals that you work on with your treatment provider, but be very careful about the performance that you want your child to do in front of these people, which might cause them more anxiety. So the more that we prepare, the more that we bring things of comfort for some of the younger kids, bringing a bag of props, things that they like to do, it is really going to help kind of ease, ease that, you know, ease their way into it. I think I'd like to think about, um, just to end this kind of topic, some basically some do's and don'ts of how to help our kids feel comfortable over the summer, things you do do, things you don't do. So when interacting, what I would say some good recommendations would be respecting warm-up, right, Jen? Yes. Monitoring the, monitoring the child's body language. Absolutely. Talk around the child at first with focus on parents or siblings without like directing all questions to the child with SM. Getting down on the child's level and focus on a proper visual, right? It's really hard to talk about yourself. Do you like yeah, that one? I do. Have them bring something that they like. So the focus is on what they brought, what they're reading, what, but what game they're playing on their Nintendo Switch. Yeah, exactly. And really review common questions. What kind of questions aunts, uncles, and people can ask them. For our, our older kids, we're doing action plans. For our younger kids, we're doing sandwich questions. That's when we're thinking about who's going to be there, what types of questions people can ask, their answers to those questions, what could they ask at the stage that they're comfortable and that we can facilitate. And we work through that with them in session. And that really can be very positive as they're preparing for these goals for older kids and the games for the younger kids, like the sandwich questions with the bun being the greetings and so forth allowing for hesitation. If your kids don't answer right away, give them five to 10 seconds to respond. Re-ask the questions. 
Accepting nonverbal. So for kids that are verbal, but they're nonverbal, it's about you facilitating strategies, but it's also about being okay if they're just arriving somewhere. Do you have any quick examples you can share about that, about, you know, bridging down in more newer situations with people they don't know? I would say that's that's common. And I, I, I want to always relay that to parents that it's not a regression. So many families feel like, oh, my child's regressing. If they are just arriving to a situation, arriving to a party, a get together, a family member's home, they need time to acclimate and warm up. So they're bridging down to a nonverbal accept it and know that they're probably not going to stay there, right? If we're working the other strategies in place and helping to build that comfort. Again, comfort precedes communication. So that has to be sort of that beginning step. Allow your child to gain some comfort. It doesn't mean you accept, you, you say nonverbal is where we, we're going to stay all, the whole entire time we're on vacation. No, when they're starting to show, you said earlier, look for, are their facial expressions, their body language warming up? Are they showing engagement? And as they begin to um, engage and warm up, they get off to the side, maybe in the kitchen or a den. They're not in the hubbub of everybody, you know, right there greeting them in the foyer of the home. That's when the progress with communication can occur. So give a little time. Time is okay. Yeah, definitely. And that's respecting the stage on the bridge. As we know, selective mutism is a social communication anxiety and their stages on the bridge and also knowing their whys. I'm just going to, you know, just touch upon the processing challenges that some kids have, the speech and language challenges that some kids have. Maybe it's timidity and they don't have any other issues. Are they bilingual and speak the native language in that area? Sometimes kids blossom in the areas of their most comfortable language. Sometimes they don't. They feel an expectation. So again, it's it's really knowing the child and knowing and kind of meeting them where they're at. And just some kind of additional recommendations. Don't be that aunt or uncle. If I were a parent, I'd say them to try to get the child to talk. Don't be that person. Like, you're going to talk to me attitude. And make sure that you look, you know, you don't stare them down. You don't run right up to them. You avoid open-ended, thought-provoking questions at first because that's when you're anxious, it's hard to think. So having that more visual, more direct choice questions, training parents to reword or re-ask, like all of these things are just so important. And definitely, definitely don't beg or bribe your children to talk. There's so much focus on talking, talking, talking without understanding comfort is so key and meeting them where they're at, and then using strategies to bridge them up. Do you know what I mean, Jen? Is, are you thinking that makes a lot of sense to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think all, the, all those pieces are really important. Uh, I think some of our listeners may feel like, well, it's a lot. How do I put it all together? And that's where I'd say, you know, working with your professional, because we're covering a lot of, you know, some are our topics or strategies that, again, every child is unique. So some are going to work for some versus others. Right. Some kids have higher sense of expectation. Others don't. Some are going into family functions and they're comfortable. They're ready to to to, to mingle, you know, with their family and engage. But some are. So we know that all kids are, are presenting differently. But again, I just I always, you know, point out that you're not alone. Listen to the podcast. There's a lot of great information. Work with your professional to really, you know, get into the the details of some of these approaches. And if you don't have one, you know, do a coaching session, you know, with one of our providers at the Smart Center so we can walk through these strategies you know, in a, in a, in a more individualized setting. The fact that we've gotten questions, I know that there were two just the other day that Mary Kate in our office said that a parent said it was somebody 
who I guess had listened to a podcast, had read materials on our site, wrote to us and said, my child is going to camp this summer. What's advice? Or, you know, please tell me what are some of the things we should do all summer? And I mean, I, I hear you, right? It's an, e it's an easy, quick answer, but it's to say, well, here's ideas. But if we don't know your child, we don't know what stage they're functioning at, we're not giving you good advice. So it's really important as parents that when you're working with your clinicians, whomever that may be, really isolate out those settings that you're going into and really work through it. What stage is their baseline? What stage can you facilitate up? What are some of the challenges you may have in those settings? How to combat those challenges? I can't emphasize that enough. It's not an easy answer. But I will say the summer vacation, the Selective Mutism Summer Vacation and Back to School Guide is a good guide that I had written years ago on ways to help kids and help parents and educate professionals on things that happen throughout the summer, preparing them, different ideas, giving them examples. So I do encourage families to consider either downloading the ebook or purchasing all funds for, from that book do go to research. So it's a great opportunity for parents to kind of get some additional information as a resource and some share it with their kids. Some of the older kids are reading the book and saying, hey, mom, here's some things I can do. I mean, some of our kids have come full circle. So yeah. in terms of what knowing what helps them and really trusting their feelings in this process. So I think, Jen, we did a great job of keeping this somewhat in a timely manner for our listeners. Any last minute thoughts before we end this episode? Yeah. I mean, one thing that I, I'll just throw out there, too, is don't underestimate utilizing family over the summer. If, you, if you're a working parent, like many of our parents are, and your children are being, you know, having care from, you know, aunts, uncles, grandparents. If those grandparents or relatives who are watching your kids can take them out and work on goals in stores, restaurants, we have a lot of goals that we work on all summer long. You're keeping their social communication going. And don't, don't underestimate utilizing teachers as tutors or babysitting over the summer. In fact, there are a lot of, in, a lot of teachers that will provide tutoring availability. And there's opportunities where we've had some caregiving, depending on the school and what that may look like, camp counselors who have been a counselor, but also have done some childcare. So, you know, open, open the box of opportunities and think, how, how can I create some consistent anchors in communication so I have people that I can pass the baton to that are going to help me and my child remain communicative during the summer, whether it's with parents or professional, but also that can help pass the baton back to the, the school setting. There's a lot of really great opportunities to, to work with, with individuals in that capacity. And I will throw out, I have a lot of kids that, one, if your child is not having extended school year as part of their IEP, but they could, not all kids want that, but extended school, extended school care can be a really great way for them to continue their school experience if it's not part of their IEP, where they get to be on site. They do a lot more game-like environment. It also is smaller group. And even if your child doesn't qualify for extended school year, but can be on site because school has some time that they're meeting for this, and your child can come over to the school during the summer. If you have middle school or teens and you want to play basketball, run the track, you know, play soccer on the field, get over to the school often throughout the summer. Don't avoid it. Have fun on, on those grounds because you want to be comfortable and communicative all year long on school grounds. And if you have access to the school, I have some kids that have been able to meet with a counselor or have speech services as part of their accommodation plan during the school year. And extended school year has allowed for those services to continue once or twice a month just to keep keep their, their foot in the door of school 
and where we can meet all school grounds or on the playground during the school year. And that is where we can keep goals going. So if you haven't thought of those things or want help fleshing them out, that's what we're here for. But I would say there's a lot of really great strategies to keep you moving over the summer. Thank you so much, Jen. This has been just so helpful. I'm hoping our listeners got some amazing information. And thank you again, Jen. Have a wonderful, beautiful day today. Thanks, Dr. E. Have a great day. This concludes episode 13 of the Unspoken Words podcast. If you have any questions on anything discussed in the episode, please head to selectivemutismcenter.org forward slash ask Dr. E. That's A-S-K-D-R-E. And we'll do our very best to answer them on upcoming podcast episodes, newsletters, and on social media. This podcast was produced by New Edition Consulting and is hosted by Dr. Elisa Shippon Blum, who has over 30 years of experience treating and understanding SM. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify. New episodes are released every single month. Thank you guys for listening, and we will see you guys next time.